The RC podcast is brought to you by Cook Lens, makers of the 5i, S4 and Pancros, all handcrafted to give you the famous Cook look, but with the latest innovations and technology such as lens eye data. For more information, go to cookoptics.com. You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking and cutting edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's RC podcast number 91, joined 91. in the studio by Mr. Wingrove. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Glad to be home, as you are. I am. I'm actually still a bit jet-lagged, having got off a plane only uh, a day or so ago and still waking up at 3.30 in the morning, but that's okay. <laughs> Excellent. So you've been just as busy as me. That's been good. You've been, uh, shooting, I have been just shooting as busy as me as well. I've been doing a Wingrove. I've been <laughs> um, literally doing a Wingrove in the sense that I've been uh, shooting indie style by myself pretty much mm. around the world though i i primarily was shooting on a 5d because i literally took a leaf i mean people that don't know just tuning in jason is uh very good at working by himself and shooting awesome footage all around the world and i was in a pathetic attempt to um to copy you attempted to do the same thing though all i did was go to san francisco and la uh but i thought if jason can not that if jason can do it i can do it that's not true actually you're doing one more crazier than me and doing your own sound i think i was my own sound yeah no i was thinking i should you know buck up and man up and if you can do such an amazing job i should challenge myself to similarly uh not be a wimp and do it myself (laughs) Well, full marks if you're doing your own sound, because I think it doesn't matter how professional you are, how good you think you are, how there's just no point. Well, I say no point. Obviously, you've proven that and proven me wrong already, but doing your own sound is almost not possible. Yeah, no, it was hard. Not, you know, not, not worth the effort you can do. You can do, because, you know, good sound is just not sound that's it's just not fucked up you know what i mean if, if you do spend time to do great images then they look gorgeous but well i great this sound, one thing going good for sound. Me, i was pre- predominantly shooting in studios yeah you yes, were reasonably you were, controlled so so when since we spoke to you last dear listeners i've been in california basically i had a week shooting 23 interviews in seven days and you've been uh in i think nine days i did um singapore KL, uh, Mumbai, uh, Shanghai, and one other one in there I'm forgetting. But, um, yeah, literally probably doing about 25 uh, hours each each country, doing about um, uh, pretty much land, shoot, sleep, take off, take off the next morning. So it was, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty, it got pretty weird there towards the end there and really didn't know, you know, this whole, the whole trip's basically been this kind of like subsistence kind of living. If there's something soft, you find it and sleep on it. If there's, you know, food comes past you, you eat it, regardless of if it's the third breakfast or the second dinner you've had that day. It's just, you know, it's like, especially if you're flying, it's just like you get all this weird, just whatever, it's food. I don't care what we call it. I'm just going to eat it. Um, yeah, if there's somewhere soft to sleep, you, 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 yeah. you, you, you sleep. It's just kind of really, really weird other world thing. But I've got to say, I've got to say, I've, you know, I've said this before, I'm really impressed with the footage that you bring back. Because honestly, I was doing, I did some stuff out, I mean, I was at Cine Gear, we're going to talk about that, and uh, I was doing some other stuff. I took my Epic over, so I was shooting. I actually found the limit of where you can take an Epic without getting, <laughs> epic without getting busted. I, I did hear about that. Um, but but otherwise, that. I was, you know, in a soundstage where I could 
light things. Yeah. But you get phenomenal stuff in the field, which I think is a big difference. And some of those countries like Mumbai, that's yeah. India, that's hard work. It is hard work. That's probably like my – I'm going to be really – and also the other thing about that is like in the bloody traffic in Mumbai, you can't record anything because everyone's always on the horns. It's insane. It was basically, I think... Drive we, by horn. Well, we didn't. We basically just went to one place and shot. We, I had plans to do, as I'd done in other countries, to go off and do all this great B-roll and stuff. Basically, I, just, I went there, shot someone saying a couple of lines, and I said, okay, get me back to the hotel. I'm, ne- I'm never leaving it again. It was just insane. This poor little sort of white boy thrown into the middle of this sort of insanity. Yeah, it's pretty wild, isn't it? My I first, stayed my in that first hotel. visit to, uh, uh, to India. Was quite I stayed in that hotel, hotel with John Montgomery, my business partner, the one that was the scene of the right. attack, right? right? Yeah, that's right with out the, the front of where we shot near the gateway. Yeah, near the gateway. Is, yeah, and the, so it um, actually was quite, quite upsetting to see Taj. Taj Mahal Hotel. Yeah, yeah, great hotel, but... Yeah, it's, and it's completely horrific. rebuilt. It looks gorgeous. It's amazing. Yeah, no, we just stayed in the uh, Grand Hyatt, which is like completely uh, uh, devoid and cut off from the entire world. Yeah, I bet world. they still had people checking with mirrors on oh, the cars coming in. mirrors under the cars yeah. and full x-ray screening to get in and out of your hotel. It's it's quite nuts, but uh, yeah. But uh, I mean, I, Do you know, I, the whole thing was really based on... I think I've... Before someone accuses me of not being pro-India, and this is... Or me. Or you, uh, and I and I'm not talking about about India, but a sister country. You know, my father was actually born in Ceylon, which is well, now Sri Lanka. Well, my mother was born in in India as well. Get out of town! Yeah, I never knew that. I never knew that. About my father, go. my grandfather was in the diplomatic corps. What was your excuse? Uh, my uh, mum's dad was in the British military, so it was the last sort of wow. hurrah well, of go. the uh, kind of uh, yeah, gin, gin and I tonic that. sipping. That wasn't um, stage. I honestly didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's discuss film stuff and cameras and stuff and, uh, and leave the reminiscing for later. So, so I'm going to keen to talk to you about Cine Gear because I've mm. seen a lot of stuff yeah, at Cine I'm Gear. extremely jealous you went. That sounds um, awesome. I've been dying to go. But I have to day. say, I also then went up to ILM. In, so that was in LA. Went up to ILM, filmed there for three days. Went up to Skywalker Ranch, then came down to LA and went to Red and had a great time yes. at Red, and we'll talk about that we coming up. We'll talk about that, for Also sure. had a great time at Sony Pictures. They were really nice people. Also, Third Floor, the previous company, and uh, XN, which is great guys as well. So a lot of really good people. And actually, I've got to say, in travelling, Jace, and because I was travelling in you know our circles, like film circles, a lot of people listen to this podcast. So um, I want to make sure I give some shout-outs, especially, of it's course, going around awesome. Cinegear. Oh, fantastic. So really, really good. Oh, great. Um, um, and also caught up with our friend uh, Stu Meshwitz. Ah, excellent. Equally jealous there. Yes. Um, it's always good. Always good value. I don't... I almost remember the last time I met with him. So before we get to the news per se, I don't want to do a uh, explanation of last podcast. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the last podcast, we did a discussion about, uh, briefly, about Technicolor's uh, cine-style stuff, the Technicolor LUTs for the 5D. Now, we did that discussion in this podcast referring to an episode of FX Guide TV. That went out for a brief 24 hours, and then I pulled it down, uh, not because we had legal or whatever. It's because we understood more about it after the second we published it, and we got an opportunity to actually meet uh, and talk to the guys at Technicolor at Cinegear. So Brian Gaffney, who's a terrific guy, just phenomenal guy, uh, got me to talk to Joshua Pines. Now, Joshua's the head of R&D and actually was one of the key guys uh, who did the looks. Right. So instead of 
doing some of the stuff we were discussing about, which was like, well, we think this and we interpret that and what this is what we think kind mm. of thing. We did that and we've re-put up that FX Guide TV app where we show all that stuff, including the interview with uh, Technicolor. So for those of you that were like, why did you take it down? Was it legal? It's the exact opposite. It was not because Technicolor said... Um, you got it all wrong and we're going to sue you. It was more like we suddenly got an opportunity to speak to the team that did it and we got some amazing insight into the process that I had not, was not aware of. I I hadn't seen it anywhere else on the net. So rather than uh, do that differently, I decided to take down the last week's RC, cut out that bit where we were just kicking around what we thought was going on Mm. and this week we're putting back up, now I'm back in Sydney, uh, the new FX Guide TV that'll have the stuff about the Cine Styles and the interview uh, with Joshua, who was really generous in um, giving his time. Great. So, a, a, like a better uh, way of doing it. And I know a lot of people who actually got hold of it before the limited edition version were like, well, please put it back up, but this is better and it's more accurate, quite yeah, frankly. Yeah, it's not taken down from any sort of malicious regions. It's just, you know, in essence, we want to be more, all the more, more info and more accuracy. But I have two apologies to make on that score. One quick one is that uh, I attributed some stuff to um, the way that Vincent LaFarette was doing stuff because the actual cine style LUT sorry, the CineStyle plug-in that you load in your 5D cannot control the settings it comes up with. And so it was coming up with settings that weren't the ones that Vincent was recommending. And I was saying, well, it must be because Vincent's recommending those settings. In fact, that's not true. It's simply that the Technicolor guys can't control that part of the camera. So it was just coming up with a different set of settings. And then Vincent was correctly repeating what Technicolor said, which is shift it to, uh, to those settings. Right. So while it's true that Vincent said that, it's simply not true that Vincent invented that. He was simply uh, correctly quoting the Technicolor guys. And I, I had that wrong, so I apologize to him. Also, just, and he's going to hate me for saying this, but also I want to flag the fact that I, I jokingly and incorrectly characterized John Montgomery's attitude to uh, lenses in the last podcast. I apologize to him about that. I was being flippant about his attitude over lenses, which is, in fact, I shouldn't have done. And he, he had pretty much the same point of view that you did about uh, when traveling with zoom lenses, that they're yeah. incredibly valuable for doing stuff. I was <clears throat> kind of jokingly pretending like he was saying, why shit with primes, which he wasn't saying. He was more like, why would I be better off shooting with primes when traveling in these sort of circumstances? Which, yeah. of course... I sound mischaracterized. I just want to do the right thing by John because uh, he's terribly tolerant of me and my uh, ability to to get things wrong. Um, Uh, A quick shout out to Vince while I'm here because he obviously just want to congrats on he's uh, an Epic M owner Mm -hmm. now also. So that's yeah. Congrats to Vince as are a lot of other people since uh, probably our last episode. There's a ton of uh, Epic M's out now in, in the field, which is terrific. So we're going to try to do a uh, RC from the um, actual uh, Cine Gear itself, but we didn't um, yep. because uh, basically I was exhausted. Um, and also because I thought myself, I've got a camera now with the latest software that will shoot at 300 frames a second. So we were out shooting around the streets of Hollywood at 300 frames a second. Then I was literally running, and I do mean running, through the streets of the Paramount backlot where Cinegear was on, filming at 300 frames a second. Right. Which had phenomenal results because it basically looked like everyone was frozen in time because they weren't moving very much. And because I was moving so fast, you right. got to see them for a quarter of a second. So this is kind of like that. You've seen that stuff of the, someone driving a phantom through a train 
uh, train stations. You seen that? I haven't. It's terrific. It sounds Basically. the same. Yeah, exactly. But it's at a much, was it were they running far. through it like kind of swerving? Literally, literally pointing out the door of the train, driving through stations at like whatever a thousand frames a second right. or so, and literally just tracking through these frozen moments, which is just okay. fantastic. Now that, not that, that's not Trey's work, is it? From Stuck in Customs, because uh, he did that not on the Phantom, but on the uh, little Casio camera. Uh, no, I think there's definitely some phantom work done that way. Okay, because well. Stu, maybe. Stu knows Trey because they were down in um, yeah. at the shuttle launch. Right. Anyway, so my point is, I'm running right. So literally, I'm weaving through the crowd, and you only see. So you're before. running with your epic yeah. at 300 frames a second at. So 2K. one second becomes 12 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So anyway, it looks so phenomenal. I say to myself and to Jeff Huser, his long Jeff, terrific, uh, my other business partner, terrific, terrific, incredibly long-suffering guy. Um, and so I say to Jeff, hey, Jeff, where is there somewhere we could go that we could film crowds doing really interesting things, lots of light and color uh, mm. at 300 frames a second? Mm. And Jeff, I think, said rightly, I know, Disneyland. That would be <laughs> awesome, wouldn't it? Because like all the rides and stuff and all the kids and at 300 frames a second. Yeah. So, so let me just explain. There is a line in the sand <laughs> where people go, yeah, no, you can't film with that professional right. camera. That it's line is actually at the front door front of the door. Disneyland. Most lines. There's a few lines yep. there, I think. And so you go through security and they mm. bag search you. And I pulled out my Epic and they were like, oh, you what can't bring that in. What the hell is that And I thing? said, why not? And they said, it's Which professional camera. bomb written on it. No. No. They <laughs> said, it's a professional yeah. camera. And I said, no, it's not. They went... Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> I wonder if they'd seen one before. And it I just like, looks professional. And I was like, no, no, it's just my camera. And it's they go, mate, no chance. <laughs> so, um, so I got bumped back. So I had to go I take it back. I don't believe they probably said it like that. Yeah, and so I was going to call you and do the <laughs> cine gear, but I was, in fact, had to spend the day at Disneyland with no camera. Uh, so yeah. I went on Star Tours and did lots of interesting things that I won't Excellent. talk about here, but... I had a very enjoyable day, and that's yes. why I didn't get to record with so you. So we have sorry. talked about the fact that, you know, with DSLRs and with the Epic, that, you know, you could be under the radar somewhat, you know, yeah. however. Not, there, it does, if you stick your head up high enough, you do actually get on the radar and you get busted. Yeah. The back, <laughs> I thought you'd got into the gate and ran through, like, down Main Street or something and uh, been stopped. So I tweeted you didn't even this, get right? that far. And all, these, all, the, all my peeps were like, break the camera down into pieces and smuggle in the bits, right, and then rebuild it. But the trouble was, exactly as you just said, if I then run down the streets yeah. of Main Street, would they would have lasted about a second. And then they would have confiscated the camera, yeah. which, quite frankly, I didn't want to be arguing that it was Maybe. not a professional camera and mm. it cost $58,000 yeah. plus lenses. Yeah, but it is for my own personal use. <laughs> it's for my own personal I'm use. I'm a billionaire or whatever. Just so. I, I, yeah. No, really, I didn't inhale. So anyway, oh, I, uh, I apologize, but that's what happens. Okay, so let's discuss Tinegear. So... You've seen some of the photos from it. I have. Shall we discuss some of the highlights as we move to the news section? Let's. And now, the RC News. Okay, so I don't know that there's uh, one piece of news that I would flag as being the biggest news coming out of Cinegear. There was just, like, lots of interesting things there. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people will really launch anything major at Cinegear. If they've got anything, they'll sort of probably do it at NAB or, you know, I don't think... Cinegear, I think is probably a bit more it's obviously it's in the heartland of you know, of, of 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 hollywood and it's like a bit more sort of hands-on and more for the industry and it's sort of away from the sort of um you know the the, the newbies and this really is a bit more hardcore you know hands-on and you know gear is there rather than behind you know, glass glass cases and stuff, yeah? Yeah, because it's on the back lot, yeah. on the streets, but obviously there's no traffic. Mm. It has a tremendous kind of carnival feel. Mm. And, of course, you, you're out in daylight, so it's easy to film with things. 
So yeah, we did. But, yeah, and boots aren't sort of swamped with sort of people just you know newbies and weirdos and you know people just wanting. Can you got a sticker? Got a brochure? When you got? It's actually the people that are there generally, you know, um, more sort of pro or industry people. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and it was a good crowd. I mean, they're mm. nice people. Um, Excellent. So. Yeah, so yeah, I don't think I've heard anything major being announced there. Just good to see um, stuff in the hand, and uh, some of that. There's obviously a lot of people who can't, you know, can't afford to go to NAB. It's very expensive. Uh, yes, yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of people who who show there, and it's a bit more hands on, a bit more room. They've got a massive, you know, got the whole street, so people can really with with and, big and some with big flashy stuff that moves around really quick. You can, uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, have a bit of room to move around and run the run down the street. So first up, I want to talk about the uh, the Optimo, you know, the Ingenue forty-five to one hundred and twenty. Because I got to oh, yeah. with that. Yes, right. Because I had my Epic, so I went along and we stuck a lot of different glass and stuff on the camera. Mm. Um, I was over at Cook and talking to those guys; they were great. Um, and by the way, they well, the mothership, I guess, uh, launched the PS Technica PS Cam X thirty-five. Yep. Which is basically a HD camera that can shoot up to high frame rates, like 150 frames. Quite quite a bulky camera. Um, I went to the launch of that, and it looked very robust. But I don't know that I I might be missing something. But it didn't set my afterburners alight. There was nothing nothing new there, apart from the fact that it was probably knowing PNS Technic, it's probably solidly built, made of pure unobtainium and yeah. it's like it uh, can shoot expensive. raw 12 bit uncompressed but it's um yep and it's got like 18 gig of internal memory which but that only works out to be four minutes at 24 frames a second so what's the actual resolution of the sensor well i don't know but it's 19 by 10 you've got the spec sheet there yeah um yeah. But I want to talk about it, that because... I, was, 2K is planned, but at the moment, yeah, yeah, yeah 1920, 1080. Didn't really set my afterburners light, but I did quite like this Ingenue lens. So you've seen this um, probably flagged around the net. Yeah, yeah, one of the... Um, now, so this... Uh, did you have it in some sort of adapter? It's got, it looks like it's got an optics no, or... No, sort of, I, I no, stuck that's it, basically Oh, it well, okay. So, no, 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 that was cool. So so I did that. I put yeah. it on the... Ah, oh, it's a doubler. And then I put a doubler on. Ah. And it was awesome. And that's an Ingenue doubler. Okay. And it was... Which made it... So, what's the wide end? It's... 45. 45 or so. So, it's like a 90 to 240 or so. 90 to 240 is about right. I think it was at yeah. two times. It might have been 1.4. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. But it was so unbelievable. And then... T28. That, but then I dropped down to 2K res. Ah. So, what was now 240 would become what? 350? Uh, or like a 2K. So, it's going to be pretty much a 2 to 1... Crop, crop in much. on top of that then. So, so you're going to be two, two, 480? 480, yeah. Yeah. So 480 at 2K. Um, mm-hmm. In quite a compact package, you know. These, yeah, lens, these lenses are designed, you know, you can happily put them on the lens, unsupport them. You know, you can, I mean, it's not, you know, super-duper easy, lightweight, you know, handheld. You can handhold them if you want to, but you don't have to necessarily, they're not so heavy that they entirely need to be supported, you know. So uh, so I put it on their Epic because I had one on the booth. Right. And it was funny, funny because I went to record and they were like, no, 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 there's no memory card in there. And I went, no, no, there is. And the guy was like, no, no, there isn't. And I was like, yeah, it's my memory card. <laughs> I just formatted it. And they're like, oh, you know how to use this camera? Oh, that's great. Because we're not quite 100% sure how to do that. <laughs> All the menus. And I was Good like, oh, yeah. And then I went, oh, you don't have the latest build that does the 300 frames at 2K. So then I pulled out my Epic and they were very nice guys, hell of a nice guy. Uh, mm-hmm. 
John John Eves is that I think his name? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's his name. Yeah, uh, Jean, uh, le, and Poulain. Oh, I'm not going to say Poulain. That's the freaking chicken or whatever. It's, anyway, uh, and uh, Jean Marc came and uh, let me take the lens and just walk around with it. So then I was shooting Fantastic. on the. Admittedly, they had my 11 to 16 still at the booth, but nevertheless, that was quite a nice thing to let me borrow it and yep. wander around. And so I shot with that, and uh, I was interested to see because I thought if I shoot handheld it's going to be really, really shaky. But then I went, ah, what if I shoot 300 frames a second handheld? Yes. It'll take some of the shake Absolute out of lot. it. Absolutely. Uh, so, but the only trouble about doing that, I then realized, is that you, I'm, I'm used to being able to stabilize it and blow it up and crop it a lot. Mm. But at 2K, I've kind of lost a You've, lot of that. You still, yeah, I mean, you're still got a little bit beyond HD to crop in. But yeah, absolutely. But handheld on a... 400 mil, 450 mil lens, you really want to be on a tripod. It's, uh, and it's not, you know, this is probably, for, for a lot of people, this is a renter. This yeah. is uh, yeah. not, you know, not a cheap piece of glass. But um, not, not phenomenally expensive. I'm guessing, what would it be, like 60 grand, yeah, 75? Something like, 50, something. Something. That's, I'm getting a price complete on stab it. in the dark. But, it's uh, coming out but, fairly soon, not out yep. yet. Okay. Um, and I think the basic plan is the end of the year, beginning of next year. Mm-hmm. But look, it's a fully working lens. It looks really nice and uh, optically very nice uh, across the lens. Yep. So that was cool. Um, some other stuff I saw, which was kind of cool. I'm going to try and pick out a few weird and wonderful things. So you and I both shot, uh, well, you were directing, uh, with the uh, Steadicam with the uh, Revolutions rig on it. Yeah, which is awesome with uh, AJ, Andrew. So, you know, there's, uh, for people listening, there's an extension, effectively, that goes on the Steadicam, which allows it to go from low mode to high mode. And what happens is as it goes from low mode to high mode, the camera remains level because it's inside a circular tube. And that tube is like a wireframe kind of metallic, um, what are you trying to say? Like like a rolling, kind of yes, yeah, a rolling cage, rolling basically. Cage, it's basically a, a cage. But if you don't know, for the, um, I guess I'm going to call it the Revolution, the yeah. AR Revolution. Yeah. Manufactured by MK, I want to say MKV. MKV. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, basically a steady cam, but with a sort of, I guess, a crane on the end of it. And uh, it has this rolling cage, which lets you basically swing the, go from two, two inches off the deck to whatever, eight feet in the air, and keeps the camera completely level, at least on the roll axis. So. They've sort of taken that sort of technology and sort of, I guess, broken it out, right, this ca- this cage technology now. Yeah, so Howard Smith, who's the CEO of um, MKV Group, was there and he showed us. And it, it's, you might say, well, what, what use is that without the Steadicam arm? But think about this for a second. If you mount that on a car, you could go hurling around a real set. I mean, literally like rolling a car. Yeah. Well, a bit dangerous, of course, but... And the camera is always going to remain horizontal. It's always yeah. going to remain level. Now, it's going to go up and down because it's no longer got any kind of shock absorbing. But yes. no matter how much you swerve left and right, the horizon line will always be level. Now, this is going to be a really interesting look. So anyone who's actually strapped a, like a fully stabilized, like, horizon, you know, like the horizon yeah. is parked, uh, a gyrosphere or whatever onto the back of a, a of a car where you've actually been filming the car it's a really unusual sort of look because it looks it makes the movement of the car all the more dynamic because it's moving in space you know you, mm-hmm. you t- it basically if you're filming the car and you're bolting 100% to the car it because they're moving together it kind of take 
all the background moves, but the car in space doesn't move in your frame. Right. So if you, as you say, bolt it to a, a bonnet or uh, you know the back back of a back of a car and then starts uh, screaming around, it's uh, it could look really interesting. A lot of the stuff I've seen with stabilized mounts can look a little bit weird because it's doing every single axis. Yeah. But just roll could be really cool on say rally. I think there's some amazing car commercial we had with this. That's at uh, mk-v.com if you want to check that out. And, Does uh, that actually that actually sled? Oh, that's that's just called the AR, the the little the the uh, the cage. Does the cage itself have a probably have a? Uh, hmm. Now, okay. something else I saw there that we've heard about, but I hadn't seen it, and it's one of the things you need to see. Um, we're trying to organise a, a an interview with these guys, uh, and they've agreed. So I won't go on too much because we can do it in the interview. Mm. Is this uh, time filter? Now this is something that we saw running on a red one. Yeah. We tried hooking it up to our Epic, but <clears throat> it has to actually. Um, it was easier to have it use their their one. And so what it's basically doing is, if you've ever watched an old western you know the wagon wheels go backwards if you've watched anything with um, a shutter it's going to do that because the shutter is a very defined on and off um don't don't confuse this with rolling shutter this is literally that the shutter is on for half the frame and then it's off and so every time it samples the image if the rotor blades or the wheel um spokes or whatever are in a different position it can look like the spokes are going backwards or static so those following along at home, you go to tessive.com, T-E-S-S-I-V-E.com, and it's called the time filter. And so this basically puts a new filter in front of the camera. You set the camera to a 360-degree shutter, i.e. none, and then it will take that out. And so suddenly wagon wheels don't go backwards, everything looks great, the motion blur looks better, you don't get staccatoing mm. and stepping from foreground things. Um, so pretty interesting, actually. So is this actually... is this? shortening your exposure time or no it's you need to then have a more open shutter to get natural well you you leave it at you do actually okay so it costs you two stops yep now you get some of it back because you're gonna go to a 360 degree shutter yeah exactly so you're getting one stop back so maybe two stops in addition to that or maybe just be one stop on top of that i can't remember Mm -hmm. but then yeah and what it's doing is it's changing the profile of the shutter from being what you might call a square wave to a more of a sine wave type thing Mm -hmm. so as a consequence you don't get this sampling problem it's smoothing the edges of that sort of open and closing of the shutter. Yeah, there's more I maths guess. to it than that, but yes. Sure, I'm sure. And so you've <laughs> got a little bolt-on unit about the size of two cigarette packets. Yeah, it looks like a sort of nano-flash size box. Yeah, and yeah. then you've got an actual filter thing connected to a cable that sits in front of your matte box. Yeah. So that is like so This a, is a really large 5x4x4-inch uh, four four uh, filter, so you can actually put it right up the front of your matte box. Um looks like they've actually got filter, filter size, so you can actually put it in a tray um, and use it essentially as an active filter and run a cable, basically a powered filter, which is really interesting. So that's right. So you switch to three. So you switch to three sixty degree shutter, gaining you a stop, but then you're losing two stops. And then does it does it then take sync? You you, you run the sync of it by plugging it into the camera or by just watch and tweak. Uh, you plug it into the camera. Yep. Okay. And cool. uh, so anyway, there's some video on the website, and we'll follow up with that interview. That's very interesting. Well, yeah, obviously, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm digging too deep at this stage. But what is really interesting, I mean, it's a really interesting idea. And uh, I, obviously, now that we can have 360 degree filters, uh, 360 degree shutters, rather, it's uh, you know not a piece of equipment that really could have existed before. Now, there are big companies there, but one of the things I like, uh, and we actually ran into these guys on the MKV stand, is you meet really interesting people with really interesting stories that are, you know, 
obviously maybe not big, big, big players in the kind of big camera sense. Um, and I ran into some of those. Now, I, I, I confess, I probably offensively, but definitely accidentally said, oh my God, this is great. We should do a story about this. And then realized that it would be no use on the RC because that's an audio podcast. And I'm talking about a deaf production company. Now, um, Peter Wolf Productions basically does uh, deaf films. So he makes films using the latest kit and gear like Reds. Um, uh, Margaret was there doing signing for me to have the interview and she was on a Segway, which they film off with a Steadicam arm and stuff. They do underwater stuff. They do just the most awesome stuff catering to the deaf community. So rather than do that interview here, which obviously is, is pointless to the point of being offensive because the deaf community can't benefit from it, we're going to put that interview, which would normally be an RC interview, up on FX Guide as a quick take probably in the next week or so. Uh, and uh, It sounds can... fascinating. I've got to say, it just sounds amazing. Because it, it would be... It would be kind of dodgy if they were really badly made sort of movies, but they don't seem to be at all. They seem to be the exact opposite. He's really good eyes, a cinematographer, does slow motion work, like just really pushes the boundaries on the stuff that they do. And uh, not only that, but people are signing in the film. So if you were in the deaf community, you're obviously faced with the subtitles, which are great, obviously in an enabling people to watch an avatar or something else. But it's nice that you know, they get to see a film where they're signing in the film, especially, I'm sure, if you were younger and... Or I'm, I'm fascinated. Signing. It sounds... I'm, I want to see it. I'm amazed how you... I don't know. I'm sure they pull it off completely, but you do, like, action films or action yeah. sequences with, with sign. Yeah. With signing. And... Uh, and I love it. I love that they're so proactive about it. Oh, and it sounds really interesting. I immediately want to go and make a documentary on them. <laughs> yeah, and here's the thing. Peter is a member of PhD. That's how he identified right. me. He sort of said, hey, you're Mike Seymour, through Margaret. And uh, Margaret actually signs our classes to him because we don't do um, subtitling on our yes, classes right, because we looked at it and we had a lot of trouble with the technical translation. Mm. Now, because she's in the industry, she um, can sign my classes and handle all the technical terms Genius. and thus Peter can benefit from our training at PhD. So I was uh, so thrilled to talk to him about it. So such a nice guy, such Fantastic. a talented cinematographer that I wanted to include him. Obviously not um, sensible to do a, uh, an interview with, sure. with Margaret, but to do something with both him and Margaret uh, as vision. So uh, that's happening. So Excellent. that's coming up. Um, let's switch gears and talk about follow focuses because oh, yes. uh, Red Rock were announcing at the first, for the first time, Jace, when they were going to ship their much anticipated follow focus rig yeah which i think was like today <laughs> like like about now <laughs> yeah i think it was quite odd they just sort of basically yeah it's shipping uh when is it shipping uh it's like shipping now so uh what they're doing is and mike maybe while i'm talking you can call up the link i sent to you but uh, uh those who would have probably seen it at nab and obviously last nab in 2010 um um they announced this sort of uh, remote focus system. The first part of it would be a essentially like a little. Th- what I'm really interested in is this little thumb roller thing, which essentially just sits by your handle, and without putting your hand on the lens, you can um, through obviously a lens motor, you can control control the focus uh, of your lens without and still have it on a, on a handle and have have you know two ha- two hands hand holding. Uh, and uh, that will is designed to work with um, most of the industry motors. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I th- have you got the price there, Mike? Because I think it was. Uh, I think the very first rollout is literally for this setup, which is for if you have existing existing lens motors, you can just buy the controller. I don't think I have Red Rock's pricing here, actually. Okay, but I seem to remember it being around the sort of eight hundred or so mark for the the controller and the interface box, and then you would then obviously need your own motors, yeah, which are traditionally grand. Pr- Pretty expensive things. Yeah, uh, they are definitely working on their own motor. From what I remember, um, it is uh, going to be quite an affordable one, and no doubt, you know, Red Rocket's going to kick ass. So that's that's terrific. But for the moment, you can certainly buy this bit, bit of gear, and I'll, we played with it at NAB, and I thought it was sensational. So it's really intuitive. Very, very you know, felt like just you know, just like you had just as much control as if you were, you know. And, and Red lens. Rock is a company we really trust and, uh, you know, would have no problem in recommending. Yeah, no, so that's, that's terrific. So, uh, and that's going to be, then I think it's only a matter of a couple of weeks or maybe a month later, they're going to obviously roll out, which we've as much talked about and we mentioned at the time, the uh, their kind of wireless, uh, more traditional, I guess, sort of focus controller, which then you do dock in your iPhone in it, which had the full display on it of, you know, focus points and uh, depth of field, and then obviously would have sort of uh, the lens library and all that sort of stuff. So that is really, that's rolling out quite quickly. Because we did wonder, I think, obviously, it had been a reasonable while since we'd seen it uh, first launch, and clearly this stuff isn't easy. Well, you say that, yeah. Another company, ViewFactor, was there. Now, ViewFactor tried doing this, I think, a while ago. Mm. They didn't have a working system at the show, but they had a... They had, like, parts of it there, um, the new system, and that's a system of being able to control both a Canon lens with plugging a USB cable in from their controller to a Canon lens that would control the motors of the Canon lens for the focus. And separately, it will plug into another controller and allow you to control their motor and their rig for doing, uh, like, on an Epic or something, on a PL mount lens, uh, follow focus. And then both of those, be it on a Canon or on a bigger camera, yep. could have an iPad controller to control it. But unfortunately, it wasn't... It was parts of it were working, but it was kind of an early prototype stage at the show. Yeah. So this is a... It's called the Impero, I-M-P-E-R-O, and it's quite a small little i guess pocketable kind of controller which is wi-fi i want to say wi-fi it's wireless actually they have three versions of it the uh first version is just the wired only and via a usb controller as much as we've seen with that i think there was another sort of japanese controller which did the yeah. rounds a month or two ago yeah. which we've sort of shamelessly have ignored and should uh, from all reports it kicks follow ass yep. we should definitely follow up on that that's 399 or 389 rather and then they have the sort of more wireless version which then theoretically you'll be able to if that's 529 which obviously you'll be able to do the same wired uh, usb control through of the actual factory uh, of the fitted electronic lens on a, on a I guess I want to say Canon DSLR maybe I'm pretty it's Canon only at this stage uh, and then I guess it has obviously has some other applications right yeah because uh, you know there's well on the on the professional model and I look well, here's the thing leave aside for a second the, this system on the view find, uh, the view factor stuff hmm. what I think is interesting about their approach which I think has a translation to the broader range of this kind of products, is we're talking about fundamental technology aimed at both Canon and PL-type mounts yeah. for, the, for those of us who are doing it. Now, I sort of saw that as a really interesting aspect because they're designing this system 
so that you could run it one day hooked up to your Canon lens and the other day with a different controller, different kind of couple of plugs hooked up to a um, to you know more professional camera. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. I think we're going to see people just honestly saying, you yeah. know, the same people that are buying Epics have 5Ds, what the hell, let's make these things much more interchangeable. Because let's face it, we're interchanging stuff already between them in terms of, mm. well, manual focus controllers and stuff. Yeah, and obviously that's sort of part of the idea of me sticking with, you know, Canon electronic glass to be able to well, do that later. Can I tell you a funny story? So I'm going to look at, which we'll discuss in a second, a PL shift and tilt lens system and I'm walking around and I've just finished talking to a view factor and Jared walks past from red and so I walk over to him and I say hi and we're just joking and we're talking for a bit and then I say well, look man I've got to go because I've got to go and look at this uh, PL mount shift and tilt lens and he literally says to me without batting an eyelid well why, why don't you just use a cannon mount on your epic and I like nearly punched him. And they went, oh, I right, said, you, Dude. Don't, you don't have an epic mount. You don't have a cannon mount for your epic. And I actually think he didn't, he wasn't being a smart ass. I think he actually was just being. Maybe he walked away and he went, Point oh. blank. No, no, I think he was just <laughs> literally just. Because obviously I have ordered said cannon mount. Yes. And would kill to have yes. said cannon mount. Um, <laughs> but yes. So anyway. Hey, speaking of which, <laughs> since we did the last podcast, they've announced the dual cannon mount approach. The M series and X series, effectively, of Canon mounts. That's correct. And, Mike, you having sort of been uh, across that will probably be able to let us know. Obviously, I think, as far as I understand, it's the have a the, – yes, the M version is a more uh, – uh, ma- <laughs> Machined of pure un- unobtainium and yes. is $2,000. Yes. And is uh, available – very soon. So, very, okay, so very on the soon record, in inverted commas. On the, rec- no, no, on the record, I spoke to Ted. It's part of an interview we've done with him yep. uh, in the um, stages, actually. We, we had a lot of fun at, down at Red. It's about to be released over to Ted so he can walk around and show it to people, and then they're going to do a test run of it. Yep. And these early mounts, apparently I have my name on one of them, or so I've been told by Jared. Very nice of him. Thank you. Um, and then... These are not going to be released as in you've got the mount, but they're not working yet. They're going to be released and working when they're Which released. Which is really what I thought they would do, is they release them so as too. a bit of a dumb mount, and then we'll switch on that stuff later on. Which kind of would, would, have, would have been a stopgap thing, but it would have been a bit of an annoying stopgap, partly because, you know, you do want to, to you know, a bit of a pun, but you do want to change stops, you know. Well, but the other thing you can do on these is you can pick two points, right? You can pick a point in the distance and say that's focus one, pick a point up close and say that's focus two, and then actually set the camera to pull focus on the Canon lens between those two things mm. in the Epic without any mm-hmm. follow focus gear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so bring it on. That looks fantastic. And I presume yes. obviously you're going to be able to do the touch touch focus on I the screen. I played with and it all and that held it. Yep. But unfortunately was had to go through a metal detector, so I couldn't get it out. <laughs> what I'm Who for- knew unatanium set off metal detectors? <laughs> what I'm, I'm uh, neglecting to remember is how much the non-unobtain, the timeline and uh, schedule for the uh, non the non unobtainium the normal one uh, the five hundred dollar one. one it's five hundred bucks that's right yeah. yeah again obviously it'll still be a smart mount but uh, that I guess it'll be follow up uh, will be TBA I'm gonna while we're here talking about red I'm just gonna quickly just back up to um, the only sort of real sort of thread of of red news and schedule news which is that um, uh, from Jim literally about a week or so ago is that basically the Epic S 
which obviously a lot of people are hanging on, is uh, is, is dependent on a few things. The fact that uh, Epix X will be finished and shipped uh, most of its orders, that the rework of the camera um, to give, I guess, less to reduce the features and reduce uh, the slim down the electronics, I guess, for the Epic S, because it's you know going to be less lower frame rates and you know simpler feature set. Um, and basically, and the main thread of it was that they expect Epic S to be uh, in production in the fall which I have to constantly look up, which is September to November for the rest of the world. So that's, you know, obviously with no supply chain surprises in there. But basically, they expect Epic S to be shipping September to November. So that that theory then, back, backdating, obviously, we're hoping that uh, Epic X will then be hopefully all, all, all shipping in, in large numbers by that time, which I think is meant to be happening Next month, July now. Was meant to be June. I think it's now July-ish. Mike's pulling a face. <laughs> the current release of the Epic firmware is 1.612. Um, but what's interesting about that is that there's a new version of Redmote. So I was... I've got this and had it for a while. I was down on Redmote yep. because I was basically like, this is a useless piece of crap. UI-wise, it was... And then my problem with it was that I would change things on the UI on the red mode. Yeah. And nothing would visibly happen on my red mode until I let go, and then the camera would update to whatever yeah. I'd set it to, and so and would the UI. The, mo- the mode would. So imagine if I was trying to change the ISO, right? And mm. I'm at 100, 200 or something, just for argument's sake, and I ran it up to 800. Nothing changes as I'm turning the knobs. Nothing. Mm. And then I let go, and it suddenly goes, 800. Yeah. And I go, well, I went right through 400. I did, could have been, could you have told me that maybe? Yeah. Um, and so yeah. it's been completely redesigned and there's a new UI, which is the kind of grid version yep. for those keeping track. So if you... Uh, a UI on the red mode. Red mode. Yeah. yeah. It, it doesn't it change itself, the UI much on the Epic no, itself. No, no, But actually the, the red mode looks like a completely different thing. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, it doesn't. It okay. is really dramatically different. So I'm. If anything, I suppose some of that information was a bit small and a bit sort of. Mm. No, it was useless. Yeah. It was okay. useless. Oh, good. But well, it okay. now isn't useless. But here's the other thing. I, I mean, I, it was still useful as a controller if I wanted to activate it on a crane, right? Because mm. you know, yeah, remote you're, you're or a on car. Off. Yeah, on off. Yeah, on off was good. Yeah, cool. but the rest <laughs> of it was like, really, what's all this? It's just not yeah. working for me. Sure. So I'm glad that they responded to us uh, early adopters and okay. listened and did that. And thank you for that. And, Excellent. But if so, you only saw it a while ago, you should have another look at it. Right. Okay. And so that's on the what, what software version we're talking about? This is the Epic software so version. So we're up to now version, uh, let's see. Well, version, the firmware 1.6.12 has the version 771 red mode upgrade package in it. Right. So does that update, just for those who just out of, don't, don't know, does that update... You plug you it have in. To se- have a se- you have to have it docked and they both will update no, at no, the same you, time? No, no, you plug it in and upload you have to, Yeah, to it. you update that as a separate yeah. separate path. And, okay. And, uh, yeah, and so, you know, we're seeing, obviously, that uh, I think it's and version 1.4.9 is the version that if you go past that, which mm-hmm. is obviously like two versions ago, mm-hmm. you can't go back. On yep. the red camera itself, I yep. don't have a problem with that at all. Yep. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just sure. saying that up until then, you could go up and down in versions if you didn't like it. Once you move to the post one four nine, you've got to stick with what you've got. Or, or obviously, you can got multiple versions plus that, but that's it. You know, so we're liking Redmote now. 
and it updates faster. We like it more than we did before, yeah. Yep. Definitely. Okay. And the update speeds improved. Well, it was the UI. It didn't tell you what the hell was going mm-hmm. on. Okay. Right. So it wasn't necessarily the fact that it was, you know, it was a slow thing. It was just basically what it was displaying. Oh, Jace, I'd like to tell you that's true, but mm. I think it was really that I just thought it was not useful and stopped looking at it. Mm. Okay. I mean, I really... Because, you know, you know remember me, you I've came in one day and I was like, you were like, I can't wait for the red mode. Yeah, and I was like, absolutely. really? Well, here, have, have a mine. soft spot for that. So I'm hopefully it'll, it'll, you know, it will evolve. As I mean, all, there are uses for it in the car mount, as I said, like, yeah, especially not, sure. totally useful. But, you know. But, hey. Yeah. Um, something else that uh, is being revised is the, and we'll go into this more next week, the wooden camera stuff. We got some of that stuff. Uh, I bought it. We, uh, yep. And... I love some of it to death. In particular, the uh, mini stereo jack thing uh, yeah. to yep. Yep. XLR thing that allows you to stick that on your like handle, and then you can do basically just XLRs plug in like without having to buy the yet to be released um, I/O module. So that's all good. But yes. there's uh, their top plate and stuff has been redesigned. So if you had a look at that uh, before, you might want to have another look at it. It's the new setup for that. And there's obviously quite a lot of stuff like that that was at Cinegear, like bits and bobs for Epics. And I've got to say, a lot of actual cameras walking around Cinegear, that was the thing that Jeff commented on. It's like a bloody lot of Epics on the floor, on, on, on the rigs, yeah. on the, on the on, yeah, yeah, on display, yeah. on stuff. Yeah. Right. And of course, they're shooting with Scarlet's now at Red and stuff. You yeah. Show me that 150-frame skateboard shot. Was that 150 frames? Oh yeah, 120. 120 on right. the uh, on the Scarlet, um, the fixed lens, eight times zoom lens. Yeah, uh, eight times zoom body. Yeah, um, I love my I love my Epic. I do. Yeah, yeah. Just I'm I'm having trouble. I don't know. I'm just having a lot of trouble with that fixed Epic yet. Yeah. I'm wait I'm waiting for the yep. other shooter drop, but yep, yep. I'm okay. with you. I'm with right. you. Yep. We've kind of. Yep. Um, uh, actually, talk about. I'm going to go back to. Remember, you're talking about the uh, audio adapter there for. Um, from Wooden uh, Camera? From Wooden Camera. Nice guy. Uh, Action Products, uh, a friend of the RC, um, Brian Goff from Action Products. He, I think, a while back, early days of, 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 of RC, but when it was called something else. We uh, did an interview with him because he has, uh, apart from anything else, has a really gorgeous uh, Steadicam rig, which is designed for Red. Uh, he's is uh, entering the Epic accessories uh, oh, really? uh, in a, a huge way. One of the most amazing things, which is still price and availability just, is as coming. As speaking, I can feel my credit card melting. Oh, your credit card will melt. All right, what is it? Uh, what is in, it? Okay. Well, it's, it's just, you can just have a look at... Um, so it's called the Power Distributor. And it is basically, a, I guess, a sort of a, an I.O. module that may be available quite soon. Now, it's designed to have audio um, SDIs, HD SDIs, GenLock, uh, timecode, uh, four-pin DC jacks, V-lock mounts, uh, all sorts of accessory 12 volts out, all in a sort of module, I guess, which sits on the back of the camera and uh, on the top. It gives you, I guess, like a top plate for mounting a lot of stuff, but also... Um, so it's a bit of a sort of a Swiss Army knife alternative to the other modules, which, of course, as this... Not that this is available now, but uh, we have still yet to, to know full pricing and availabilities of any of the other modules for Epic at this point. So this is because everybody is using V-Lock because they don't have volts. Yep. Instead of just strapping that on the top and with a bit of gaffer tape and a wing and a prayer, yep. this is an integrated V-lock 
clip on the back of your Epic thing. Exactly. But also, obviously, it's breaking out a lot of the other stuff, like, you know, your HDS, you know, your video outputs and um, putting them into, you know, nice angled uh, I had to get uh, a new, um, BNCs. I had to get a new VLOC red battery when I was in... Because shipping them is a pain in the ass. Yes. So my problem now is with vlogs, nothing to do... Oh, this looks awesome. Yeah. But this, my problem with this, vlogs this is, is traveling awesome. with them. Because okay. I actually got stopped on a previous trip with the Epic over the batteries. And luckily I got through because I said I just had little camera batteries. But but even though you're legally allowed to, traveling with vlogs is a royal pain in the ass. I thought you... That's your, I can't remember the thing with, with vlogs, whether you're meant to actually be checking them or uh, carrying them on board. I think you're meant to be carrying them and not checking them. Right. Or they have to be attached to the camera. Right. Okay. But I brought a V-Lock back in the hand luggage, uncharged uh, from Red this trip. Um, a new one, effectively, because one of mine died. But uh, if I'd wanted to have that shipped by Red, I'd have had to have paid for, what do they call, secure shipping in a you know fireproof box. Yeah. So that, the FedExing of a, of a V-Lock is now just such a huge problem. Well, it's you know, jets have been brought down by, you know, by battery technology. So really, you know, yeah, definitely. an actual jet went down because yep. of a V-locky. No, not because of V-locks, but just because of battery technology, be it lithium-ion, whatever it be. But uh, definitely through really? fire, fires, cargo planes have been brought down because of. Yeah, I think a couple of years back there was a FedEx plane that went down somewhere over Russia because it was literally a fire on board with with. Oh, uh, I'll take that freighting. back. Then. <laughs> <you know. laughs> but not necessarily a V-lock. Who knows what that could have been? Who knows what that that could have been? Um, uh, but I'm going to jump quickly back to um, the um, uh, action products because like if you go to, if you go to innercinema.com, which I think is I guess another one of their websites, I W N O C I N E M A Innocinema, they have uh, also you can pre-order you can pre-order their Epic Riser plates, and they have two versions. They have a really nice. Uh, they have a, a one that does an audio riser plate. Which uh, has, um, uh, I guess, it has uh, 3.5 inch sockets on the on the f- uh, little plugs that go into the sockets on the front, but also then goes to. I'm trying to find a, a shot here for you, there, Mike. Which has then XLRs on the rear as well, which is a small riser plate um, uh, and has uh, 3.5s to to XLR and a non a non audio version of that. So they've got riser plates top uh, two versions of the bottom riser plate they're working on a top riser plate and they're also working on this power distribution thing which you have to see to believe it's quite interesting again there's probably a few more days before we find um, uh, delivery dates and prices on that but uh, that who knows hopefully hopefully it'll be out soon because there is no alternative at this point yeah well, I was also shooting on this last trip the GoPro I love that little camera yeah yeah sure? yeah I did yeah I did I ran a freight train over mine last week uh, just Perfectly intact. I could have had a whole. I could have had a whole freaking thousand foot like, mag and a ten foot ten to one low, low light. Yeah, freaking uh, awesome on light. Yeah, it's it's. I find it a bit. It's you know, it's variable results. You can it can be fantastic, and sometimes you can just have a really weird shot. I don't know. I, I, yeah. I like it if yeah. there is light. Yeah, but if there isn't, if it's in like a studio, it's horrible in the blacks mm. because it's obviously designed for skiing and surfing and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of yeah, the most yeah. complicated user interfaces in history. <laughs> yeah, it's quite horrid for that for that point. Two of view. buttons to enter the date. Yeah, that was. Fun. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, but I think it's good. I they're like starting it. to become a few more um, alternatives to 
the... Uh, yeah, I saw a tubular the, one. There's a contour. I think it's called the Contour yeah. HD. And there's two or three other sort of niche kind of ones that are coming out. So it's quite interesting. And, uh, and 3D versions of those as well. So, yeah, look, I mean, for the price point that it is, um, GoPro is utterly fantastic and just use them basically as disposable. Chuck them in things and if you, you munch a few, then, then, then too bad. It's poor, poor man's kind of crash cam. But, uh, you know, I think if you want to have uh, results that are probably going to more match. Because I did a shot. I did a shot, and it's kind of in this edit of this thing I just finished. And every time that shot comes up, I just go... Cringe a bit? Yeah, a little cringe. See, I'm doing Not it differently. I'm actually so. treating that footage quite solidly. Yeah. Um, we, we are too. Which, well, so... But, I'm, but I mean, still. But I mean, I'm deliberately cutting to the kind of funky version of it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's mine's kind of cutting into a sequence of other stuff. And it's partly the light's not right, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just cringing a bit. Yeah, look, it, it, they're, they're a great foot for what they are, but um, I'm, I'm at the moment I'm keen to explore alternatives. Again, I am um, like Contour HD as well. So I went the other end of the spectrum. So we're leaving Sydney year. I went and did a whole lot of interviews, which I got to say was great fun and really enjoyed it. And I want to thank everyone that helped with that. Near the end of that trip, I ended up back at Red where we had a terrific time, thanks Mm. to Ted and the guys. Travis, who looks after me incredibly well at Red. Travis, nicest guy in the industry. Anyway. He's a good man. Got to see some 48 frame per second 4K projected properly. Right. Now, I had not seen that before. Yeah, 48 frames per second, as in projected 48 frames per second. Tests for, uh, you know, that, that sort of style. So, as opposed to shooting at any frame rate and playing at 24. Yeah. We were shooting at any frame rate <clears throat> and projecting at 48. Mm. Um, but because it was shot at 48, it didn't look like it was slow-mo. Yeah. So it just looked like it didn't have flicker. Mm. Interesting. Because obviously, uh, from what I understand, when they shoot this stuff, they shoot at a slightly more open shutter speed, oh, shutter angle. Okay, so here's the logic on this for today's geeky, rat holey problem. Let's say I shoot at 48 frames a second and I have a 180-degree shutter, then clearly, you know, you're at 96th of a second shutter. Yes. Now, you decide that you don't want to play this at 48 frames a second. You want to only play it at 24 frames a second because you make a DVD. It's fine. Throw away every second frame. So a second is a second. Yep. But now I'm playing the footage... And it has still no longer a 180-degree shutter, but now a 90-degree shutter because you've got half of a half. Yeah. So the shutter looks short, so it looks staccato-y, so yes. the motion blur is wrong. Mm. That's what you saw. No, I saw, I saw it great. Oh, so I saw it good. 48 and 48. Yeah, so it must so be shooting at 90. It uh, must be shooting at, I think, 270 or thereabouts. must be shooting at uh, more uh, with, to induce more motion well uh, it does your head in but if you think about it well, if you shoot it in, but that's not okay mine. but if you shot it at fully open shutter like at 360 degree yep then it would look the same theoretically yes as shooting it at um at, when played at 24 frames a second yes it would look the same as shooting at 180 degree shutter because mm. you have half of one which gives you a half and so you've got half the time open, half of 24 frames is 48, and it all works. Mm. So your problem is, if you do that, though, and play it at 48, not only is it not flickering on the screen because it's got a higher refresh rate, mm. but it's got continuous motion blur, so it looks like video. In mm. fact, 
hey, it looks just like really good video <laughs> because... Because it is. Because think about it. And you've watched uh, PAL TV. That's mm. 50 hertz. Yeah. So it's... Now, it's field-based, but nevertheless, without a 180-degree shutter on it, yeah. it is, you know, basically what we're talking about at TV res versus mm. at 4K res. Mm. So the best way I can describe it is you're between a rock and a hard place. If you have a 360-degree shutter... The incredibly awesome experience of the immersive 48 frames per second looks, albeit super high res, like video, mm-hmm. like watching the sport. Yep. And in, and yet when you do the DVD, it looks great. Mm-hmm. And the other way around, it looks great at 48 frames a second and kind of filmic. Well, I say that, it's never going to look that filmic, but anyway. And but when you no, do the DVD, oh God, it moment. looks like Saving Private Ryan. But there's no oh my God moment. Really? Well, there's an oh my god moment of seeing bloody 4K projected at 48 frames a second because it's 4K at 48 frames a second. It's, it's probably pretty close to the oh my god moment when you see 4K projected at 4K just at 24 frames a second. Well, it's even better. It's like watching a billboard because it doesn't seem to flicker. It just is like a moving billboard. It's mm. like looking at something that's like a poster on the wall mm-hmm. and it doesn't flicker. So, so even though obviously persistence of vision completely smooth. covers up at, you know, above whatever, 16, 18, whatever frames 18. a second, 16, 18. But you can still tell a little bit of flicker. At, at, there must be right? some sort of subconscious flicker well, but we know that from, to the motion from at whatever 24. It is. Yeah, but there's a, what was that, um, show scan, is it? Mm-hmm. That was at 60? Right, yep, 60, um, whatever, I want to say. So anyway, the answer to the problem next, is they're splitting the diff. So they're, sh- I say they, um, I can't tell you who they is. Yeah. But they's... <laughs> those days. people that are, might possibly be shooting at 48 frames a second, mm. I believe, are shooting at 220 degree shutter. Mm-hmm. Because the only other option is to take your 90 degree shutter, unfortunately becomes, um, you know, staccato and then post motion blur it. Now, that isn't actually the dumbest thing in the world to do because there's really good optical flow algorithms and you can, in fact, introduce more motion blur in yeah. post to get back to where you want to be. That's my understanding of the workflow. Well, the workflow tested that. These people, whoever they are. But, you know, the other thing is you can do HDRX at 48 frames a second mm. quite happily because yeah. it'll shoot that. Yeah. So you could be and shooting... And right? Sorry? And you could do HDRX at night. So you could actually do... They could do, they could no, do double overcrank no, because you, with HDR. No, because you can't shoot... You'd need to shoot 200 frames a second 4K to be able to shoot 100 frames a second HDRX. So let's say the maximum you can get is, for argument's sake, 120 or 150 or some number like that at 4K or 5K. Because of the shutter angle. No, no, because of just the how fast it can write to the hmm. back plane of the camera. Okay. Well, we're really going a deep rat hole now. Mm. You can't... I was shooting 300 frames a second at 2K, just like on the red one. When you start pushing the uber, uber frame rates, you have to crop in on the sensor for data rates. Yep. So the same thing happens with HDRX. You halve, so you're going to shoot 96 frames a second. Now you can shoot 48 frames a second. But that doesn't matter, right? Because that means you can shoot 48 frames a second, which in other words means if you're doing this, let's say I was making some, oh, I don't know, really big sort of motion picture thing. Yeah. I could shoot it at 48 to project it at 48. Yep. And I could have HDRX switched on, which would be awesome. But here's the missing piece of the equation. It doesn't look that filmic at 48 4K because a lot of the things that you associate with filmic are things like, oh, I don't know, 185 or 23, you know, like scope and, yep. Yep. and you know, all the artifacts that we've come to think. But it 
is incredibly immersive if you then do this in stereo. So let's say you're mm. watching 48 frame a second, even mm-hmm. 2K down res from 4K. Yep. At 48 frames a second in stereo. More the frame rate and the stereo than the, then, than the, the res. Because you don't want a cinematic technical experience when mm. watching Avatar. You want an immersive experience yes. with a very cinematic directorial style. You, what? Said, you said the A word. What did I say? You said Avatar. Did I? But yeah. I meant like the current Avatar, Avatar 1. Oh, I see. If you're looking at Avatar, the film right now, you don't go and see Avatar in stereo. We didn't when it was in the cinemas. Mm. To see it look cinematic. Yeah. You went to be immersed. To be immersed. And the most immersive is going to be higher the, the, the higher frame rate regardless of resolution. So well, higher well, frame at. rate, high projection, high quality. Mm. It's going to really... Now, the only thing is you're then going to say, well, who's going to change the projectors over? Yeah. And the answer is, what's well, a very good question. But I believe... I guess there'll be those various grades like we had, like, say, I don't know, with, say, Avatar the first time around. The had, um, you know, there was three or four ways to go and see it in three or four different ratios and, three, you know, every, every sort of second cinema had a different way of projecting it, a different frame rate, a different resolution. Yeah, but the equivalent of seeing... Batman, Dark Knight at IMAX yeah. would be to go and see a blockbuster at high res or high frame rate mm. in stereo where it was shot that way. And I, I mean, I will totally say that I don't think just watching it mono 48 is enough to wow everybody. Yeah. Watching it at 48 in 4K is bloody impressive. Yeah. And the camera holds it so well. I mean, mm. I was looking at footage properly projected and there was there was just nowhere that I could pick it apart. I mean, I mean, literally nowhere on the screen I could point at something and go, ah, yes, well, that's an artifact. Yeah, artifact. Yeah. Um, so, so HDRX, 48 frames a second stereo just, is going to be... Uh, it's just really off mind, the dial good. Mind, Mind-bending. Yeah, but having said that, like, this assumes a good projection environment. I, yeah. I mean, I'm going to stand by the fact that if you go to yeah. a local cinemaplex, if they just bloody well showed normal 2K at 24 frames a second with the right amount of light through the goddamn projector, I'd mm. be happy. Yeah. So, But mm. I, I've got to tell you, it was phenomenally nice of the red guys to put this on because you just can't see this. It's not like you can go out... Well, we can now, obviously, go and see a film in stereo and talk about it. Hmm. There just aren't, right this second, many places in the world that you can just rock up and yeah. see something at 4K in 48 frames a second. So yeah. I really, really appreciated Ted and the guys putting that together to show us. It was just jolly nice of them. Excellent. Any other revelations from uh, Mecca? Uh, we're going to put out the interview thing we did with him where we sort of went through everything on the record. Yep, cool. Um, in the coming soon um but that was the main thing i wanted to discuss with you because i just thought you'd be interested in the in uh yeah 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 absolutely because obviously it's been anecdotal at this point and most of the sort of argy-bargy about it has really been more my at the end of the day when the whole film screened and done my dvds are going to look shit that's all very well for whatever projection system you've sorted out but obviously clearly See, they've the thought about, about that though is i've got to still yeah you know, no, it's it's a non-issue because oh. know, well, because we know there'll be a workflow, as we've talked about, with, with, yeah. with you know, adding motion. But I was going to say, the other thing that to get skipped in this conversation is 
how you can do the visual effects for a 48 frame a second film and not bankrupt the post houses yeah. and the effects houses. Yeah, absolutely. Because this is not something for this podcast, but I've got to tell you, it is twice the number of frames. Oh, so, absolutely. And it's in stereo, so it's actually well, it's four, four times, times the number of frames. And I bet yeah. you that I'm willing to spend four times the and money. HDRX. Eight times? No, because no, they still get a single frame for effects. Sure. Like, think about it for a second. Like, you've got a sure. frame. Sure, sure. But in terms of, actually, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The HDRX gets combined yeah. and you just treat it as one frame. You're doing yeah. roto. You don't have to roto the A and the B of the true, HDRX. True, However, but, you know, in terms of, yeah. Hard da- work. Da- DIT going to have, it's going to have eight Hard times work. the, well, DIT is going to have eight times the data. Eight, exactly, yeah, exactly. The, Definitely, definitely makes the uh, hard drive space go through. Whatever the roof. production this is, has probably bought, I don't know, more than a couple of cameras. Whatever production this is. <laughs> Productions around the world are typically buying <laughs> quite a lot of these buggers. They're typically buying about 50. Yeah. Anyway. So, so that was my, my um, show. Well, you've tell. had an awesome time. But I would like to hear more, if I can, about your um, experience. And also, I was really curious, actually, if I could, to hear about your experiences and also get your second thing I wanted to get from you is we didn't discuss last time PL glass when we were discussing lenses. We were discussing Canon glass. Yeah. So in the time we have available and see something else, I would mm. love to hear about what your experiences were in this last trip. And then I'm going to ask you a couple more questions about lenses because it was phenomenally popular, our discussion on lenses from last week. Hmm. My experiences so versus... I mean, obviously, last time I sort of talked a fair bit about sort of lenses and what I was, was, what I was sort so of So was it taking. the same gear this time? It this was trip? the same gear. I think I'm... Yeah, I think I might have just got a slightly larger camera bag to put all my lenses in, but essentially I, I those really... bags that you recommended. Oh, okay. Oh, good. The, the what is it called? Thing? Or, yeah, I also bought, I bought a different bag on top of that, actually. Oh, really? I yeah. know. I bought one of the <laughs> sling ones. What's it called? The, um, uh, yeah, I think it was the Passport Sling or something like that. It was the, um, that was a low pro? Not, yeah, it's not a crumpler. It's a, yeah. Yeah, it was a low pro sling or a passport. To try and look passport, like I, think I could was. get into Disneyland Well, that's being it's perfect for that because it does yeah, not look not, like a camera bag. A bag. No, the camera bag yeah. I bought was, oh, gee. What did you buy? Gosh. I'm gonna to have to really think about that one, but it was a uh, it was looked a little bit. It didn't look ca- too camera baggy, but it just had a little bit more room for. I mean, lots of um, uh, lots of flaps and pockets and things. It was just sensational, and I'm gonna to have to rem- try and remember the name of that thing for for next. I uh, think tank. It was a think tank bag, uh, and it was just literally a shoulder bag, like the classic kind of Billingham, you know, flap over the top thing. Basically, my problem was because I was going to be having people other than sort of camera department people helping me with lens change. Uh, I wanted a bag whereby that was, you know, there's a lot of those bags like a backpack thing, like a low pro big backpack where they've got all the lenses essentially in the back. You have to take them off, put them on the ground, unzip yeah. them, yeah. and then when you're finished, yeah. someone then picks them up and puts them vertical. And if they forget to zip stuff up or whatever, yeah, the idea was to have something that, you know, regardless of how you hold it or you carry it or you put it down or you pick it up, if you don't fasten it, nothing's really going to fall out. So it literally came down to one of those open topped classic kind of flap over the top so this shoulder is your, bag, kind of like what you what you what you what you bought but just a little bit bigger this is your third trip doing the same kind of stuff yep so did the lens package change on the third trip uh i think i the only thing i added was i found there was a little bit of a gap between because i had the 35 mil um at 1.4 and i had the uh 11 to 16 so there's a bit of a gap in there so i, I got the 24 mil uh, the 24mm L 1.4, which is you know no, phys- physically gorgeous, much yeah. like the 35, which is lovely. And again, it's just fantastic to 
work 1.4 and see those wide lenses, you know, see so, wide lenses with, with shallow drop-off. So but I use that a bit because, I you know... I phoned you up before we went yeah. and asked your advice on what lenses I should take. Yes. And you made a really good point to me that I don't think was in the podcast mm. about why you think the 35 was a good lens. Oh. Well, I th- okay, I think... Okay, why I think it ended up being my favourite lens, the 35 1.4L, because... I think what it let me do was see the background, uh, see, uh, be close enough into a person so I sort of felt like I, I wasn't using a really wide distorting lens on them, yet still capture enough of the background. And I could put that background out of focus enough in the standard, like a sort of classic kind of a mid shot. I could put them out of focus enough for, on a 35mm and uh, um, yet sort of see enough of the background because I guess what I had to do in one shot or often one shot had to show the person and their surroundings. It wasn't like a like I had the time. Yeah, it wasn't like because I was sort of jumping around a bit. I was basically going from one person saying one line then going to a completely different country and having another person saying another line. So although I did shoot a bit of B-roll and atmospheric stuff to sprinkle in between those shots, Often we had to get a lot of context and a lot of information from virtually one shot of a person. So I opted for slightly wider lenses, but not so wide that they were crazy because that, although I used the 24mm a bit, that 11 to 16 Duclos, or I can say Duclos, I had the Tokina version of it, is great and it's impressive but it's it's nuts you know there's no you can't put it on there and not have a you know it's it's definitely on there for effect even on 16 mil it's kind of although it's not a fisheye thing it's very kind of it's a very different strong graphic look though, though i might say it's a terrific lens at 2k on an epic yes because it's now like a 30 Right, and yes. you don't get the distortion at the edges because exactly. you're cutting out the middle. The right. only thing I think with that lens, but obviously optically it's the same regardless of what format you have of it, is that you really need to filter that lens down a bit. I think because the problem is finding a filter that you know easily for run and gun stuff fits on the front without vignetting. But I found that if once you stop that down lens down a lot, you know lens flares get really videoy. You get that sort of almost because of the blades of the lens, it gets very star filtery. It looks a bit sort of can look a little bit sort of cheesy and a bit videoish. So it's a lens that looks lovely if you stop it down a little bit or put a bit of filtration on there and knock it back. As soon as you start stopping it down a bit, it gets quite contrasty. So you stop it down. It gets filters versus stop it down with the with with the iris exactly. Right. Sorry. So as soon as obviously you stop down with the iris, then you start to uh, if you're someone who likes flares a bit like me, it will make the flares look, you know, give the, the flare obviously a character that you don't have when, when the lens is wide open or just stop down a little bit because you start to, all the leaves of the iris start to um, play, um, you know, interact their their pattern of their leaves onto the, you know, onto the, the I guess, the, 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 the lens flare shapes. You know, it's like that classic bokeh thing, you know, where you sort of want to have love hearts on your bokeh or whatever. You cut a piece of cardboard and stick it over the front of the lens and you get all your out-of-focus highlights become little love hearts or whatever or stars or whatever. What's, so, the, what's the, so the deal on the 24, though? Do you think the 24 distorts um, compared to the 35? Because I, I didn't have the 24. Because yeah, when I spoke to you, you only had the 35, no, so that's what yeah, I took. No, keep, I might keep have up. other things as well. But. Keep up. No. Um, it doesn't start, it doesn't distort much. It's still quite a very used, quite a usable. You know, you could have it on. You know, somebody on like a mid shot or a three quarter length shot, and and not feel like you know they're turning into 
you know, you're having huge noses or anything. It doesn't distort. It's very nice, clean, corrected lens. But it really feels like it's another continuation of the... Th- it's not far away from the 35. It's only just one little one little step. It feels the same. It's just slightly wider, fi- wider field of view. So I just felt there was a bit of a gap. I wanted to go... If I wanted to go wider, if I had like a group shot or whatever, but yeah. I didn't want to go to the, the craziness of the 11 to 16. Is so, it the same kind of weight as the 35? Yeah, it's exactly the same construction, same sort of size. Because I was surprised when I bought the 8514. It was a bit heavier. Yes, 85 is an absolute mother. The 85 is a huge model. It's an odd, that's a really odd lens. Is One of the not? weird things about it, and why I'm glad that when Epic, when uh, they bring out the red mount as a smart mount, uh, because I realized that, that unless they did, that 85mm would be completely pointless on the Epic because it's one of the few lenses where you need to turn the camera on to be able to operate the focus. Yes, it doesn't work. The first one, I picked it up. I picked it up out of the box uh, and I went, oh my God, you fuckers, you've sent me me a busted lens because literally if you pick up, if it's not attached to the camera, the 85 1.2, you spin spin the focus, nothing happens. You turn the camera on and then all of a sudden... But if you switch the camera off and take it off your camera and you haven't refocused it back, you actually are packing... A longer physical ah, right, lens. Right, you know, it's like it's I would actually focus it so it contracted right. into itself. Right, right, right. But, so, but okay, yeah. so that's yeah, but that's gorgeous lens. But gorgeous yeah. lens. But that's um. So so, so my thing uh, would be actually the only other the other thing which sort of happened through the middle of the th- the last bit last phase of that third thing is that I was using uh, an HDMI. <laughs> Hate DMI um, uh, viewfinder, um, and basically I just ran out of cables. Basically, just a few abuse and just general use. I switched to um, just putting a Z finder on the back of the on the back of the camera. Uh, it's way harder to pick focus, but uh, I put I had literally had a handle out the front, the camera, the lens, and a Z finder on the back, and it was like oh. This is, well, breath of fresh air. One less thing to put batteries on, one less thing to worry about cables and stuff. You know, if the cable thing can be sorted out, you know, all that stuff is fantastic and EVFs are great and monitors are wonderful, but, you know, HDMI cables are really a completely disposable sort of uh, commodity. On Sorry, so you're saying that you stopped using it because the cables pissed you off or because uh, the actual plug into your camera deteriorated? uh, No, I think my camera's fine. I think it's the... I think it was the cable, one of the cables I was using, and also the one of the pieces of kit I was using was a little bit too sensitive to HDMI cables and or fluctuations and being sort of manhandled a little bit, and um, so I basically just got got, so, sick, got sick of fiddling with cables. So I was I had the luxury of tripod mounting most of my stuff, not all of it, but mm. a significant proportion of the interviews. So I had, of course, my Marshall monitor, yeah, right, which I found to be invaluable. Yeah. But of course, once I plugged it in, I didn't touch it because mm. uh, it just moved with the camera on the tripod. And as such, it was brilliant. But uh, and I couldn't have worked without it. Now I know that you're a fan of other monitors yep. and other things. Small HD, yep. small HD. Yes, yep. thank you. Absolutely, no, that was great. No, no, I, honestly, I didn't. I, I didn't I have that with my me. Marshall. My Marshall is now cracked, and uh, is it? Oh yeah, it's well, it's, it's mm. no longer. You know that thing about like yeah, you don't want to. You're like a home handyman, and you like were to turn up at your house, and there are the builders there, and you've got a fresh pair of overalls, and you feel like a real dork because <laughs> you know everyone like looks at you. You've got the white. Over- yeah, okay. So it's not like that. I was. I had my stuff looked suitably, now got busted gear. Suitably busted to. Give myself credibility. Excellent. 
But yeah, no, well, my small HD is busted work. as well. But anyway, oh, your small HD is busted? Yeah, my small HD is busted. Well, basically, uh, well, okay, I had this camera strap. Uh, no, actually, uh, how did it break? I don't know. I think it just broke in transit, which is really weird because uh, it was the, the DC plug on the side just sort of yeah got munched in somehow in transit, Somebody which is really weird. And managed to trip over the tripod and fall, and it face planted into the concrete, much in the same way as, as my your cook and my too. red, which mm. red is currently repairing. Yeah, and um, yeah, so it cracked, but it's still working. So I, I give that a vote of. You can smash it on concrete and it still yeah. keeps running. In the small HD's uh, defense, I had my 5D in a big, uh, you know, in essentially almost like a kind of a stubling rig with the uh, yeah, small HD, 5D and everything. <laughs> and one of those bungee camera straps over my neck. Yeah. And somehow, not because the buckling broke or anything, just literally the, the you know, it had un- basically unthreaded itself and the whole thing landed in the dirt, only travelled about two or three feet, just, but it doofed right on the, into, into the small HD, right into the corner of the monitor, and that thing's fine. Perfectly good, worked pretty well. So then I had some other weird issues. So basically, swearing, basically the main thing was I swatched, com- swipped, swapped completely, pretty much back to completely manual, and it was the, although it was a lot harder to, you really appreciate, like the peaking focus on, be it your Marshall or on, or, you know, any of those focus aids on the small HD the uh, Zacuto EVF, any of those things that have the, the peaking focus function is just absolutely sensational, particularly small HD. Uh, so as soon as I didn't have that, I was really sorely missing it. But the upside was literally I just had camera and lens and flick it on and it worked. And, uh, you know, after weeks of dicking around with cables, it was bliss, actually. Okay, so so jump ships now to PL Mount. So mm. I was looking to buy some more PL glass. <laughs> Really? And I was just tortured oh over... Oh, my God. What? No, go. Yeah, I'm just... Yeah, it's big bucks. Go ahead. Keep going. What were you going to get? Well, no, I just... I thought you might have an opinion because, mm. like, the, the question I get asked a lot by people is what lenses... And I think it's a much easier answer when you're talking about, you know, Canon because you really say, I'm either going to buy brand or occasionally you'll go off-brand. But most people would be... Having this discussion yeah. centered around Canon glass first and foremost, and mm. then other glass sure. as an option. But when it comes to red, you don't do that, right? You don't go, or Ari, you don't go, I'm only going to really primarily discuss red glass, and then maybe I'll buy a Master Prime. Yeah. I mean, Zeissen, I just wondered what your opinion was because uh, I. Well, the thing, obviously, when you're spending a big amount, I'm sorry to interrupt, but when you're spending that, that end of town, that big amount of money, you have to sort of think about too, unless, of course, you have, you know, you're, you're working on whatever, Spider Man re- rebirth, and you can sort of put it on a massive job, and by the time you finish the. the you know, the lenses are paid for. If you're just doing day to day, be it TVCs, whatever, you're going to want to not just put them on your own jobs but you're probably going to want to you know put them on the shelf at you know your local sort of rental house a lot of that sort of stuff now with rental houses is they do have sort of you know cross hiring stuff where half the gear on the shelves is co-owned by dps and you know it's a bit of a fluid inventory so that's a good way for you know if you're not working your gear can be working so you don't want to necessarily although what we do i love those lenses we saw at nab which the name i cannot remember um the um, the uh the name of them 
but it becomes a little harder to unless people fall in love with with them the same way um, the Lumitex. Thank you. The uh, unless people fall in love with them okay, so the same way of yours, it's very hard to have them on the shelf and let them rent out if they're not like a known you know if they're not a known piece of, piece of gear, they're probably not going to rent as much. So Mark Toyer has those lenses. He's got has these. Yeah, he's got the whole set. They've wow. arrived, and he sent me a clip, which I haven't shown you because I haven't seen you. I didn't know that. He didn't. And it's me. got a really funky wow. lens flare. Wow. Excellent. And the thing is, funky I think, as in good. Well, see, now that depends who you are, right? Mm. Like, I'm sitting here in front of a flame with green screen material up, and I would say lens flares are better at it in post. Yeah. And you'd say, oh, my God, I love those lens flares. How do I get hold of them? Well, yeah, there's good and there's bad, as I talked you know, about. You know, it's not a bad some, lens flare. It's some, just, do you want it to flare? Oh, I see. Oh, okay. They they are subject to they are more flary or I'll show milky. The video, but yeah, but he reckons they're really really good, remarkably good, interesting, and really are one two. Yep, and really punchy. Right now, I think he or somebody else brought up a really good point, which is I hadn't thought about this, which is servicing on lenses, mm. and especially if you do what you're talking about, which is renting them. Now, yeah. people, I think people are really good when they're using rented glass from facility they don't tend to throw it in the back of a car they really look after it yeah but nevertheless um when you've got those parts on those primes you've got to worry about fine dirt right yeah oh look absolutely i mean i've had um even like you know a really built you know brick shit house kind of like master primes or ultra primes and literally have taken them to the not even on the beach to near the beach for a couple of hours and had you know service department ring me up and say ah uh, did you take these to the beach <laughs> why because we one of the, the focus is a bit crunchy so are you kidding me i was there for an hour <laughs> So it's pretty, you know, it's hard to, uh, although I've been doing, you know, a ton of seaport with my L glass, I've never had a, a moment of sort of, they still all feel completely like, you know, they were like a day one, you know, particularly the 50 mil. I so, still use it and it still feels exactly the same as the day I bought it. Okay, so is, but so, is that a reason to rough. buy a cook over a, those guys or a... And also, oh, this is a this is tough questions, Mike. I don't know. You've got to look at you know return on investment. You're going to look then, at you know, are you going to be able to rent them? Are other people going to want them? Are you, is your director going to be happy with the look of them? Uh, are you? Well, see, that's the other thing right? because the, I, I think these look good, but the um, I love the cook look. But what I mm. have trouble with, as you know, is that I want those the cheaper end of the cook line to be sure. faster, faster. Yes, um, indeed, which is tricky and. So then you go, well, if I want to go fast, these things are fast yep. and cheap, yeah. but not exactly neighborhood service center. And I've got mm. to tell you, when I, when I face planted our cook, you mm. could not have got better sales, post-sales support yeah. type service yeah. stuff yeah. than those guys from Cook. They were just unbelievably yeah, good. Yeah, it helps to you know, have a good, good relationship with people, which, of course, you know, every, any customer, I'm sure, would. I mean, same with small HD. I, right, I said I've, I've my, my, yeah. my you know, monitors failed, and literally I didn't even get a reply saying, oh, dear, I just basically just got an email saying, here's your return thing, just get it back to us, boom, we'll repair it and ship it back to you. Okay, so then there's, the, there's Ultra Primes and Master Primes. And then, I mean, what are, what are you basically? Let's say I want to get I don't know fifty kind of or a set of standard primes. Yeah, yeah. What do you reckon the consideration set are for PL today? 
Well, I guess our stuff gets smaller and Epic gets smaller, obviously. You know, things like Epic. And, I mean, uh, my consideration is probably slightly different to others because I do a lot more sort of handheld. And I totally agree with you. All that sort of stuff. You want to have sort of lighter lighter glass, but still reasonably fast, like um, the uh, Ultra Primes. Master Primes are obviously, that's the, you know, that's the, if you're shooting, uh, you know, Aria, not Panavision, Master Primes are the, you know, that's the blue ribbon, that's the gold standard. But they are a much heavier lens. They're they're a much much more expensive uh, lens to rent. Um, What about like an old second-hand pair of Zeiss Superspeeds? Yeah, I would really, I think they're gorgeous. I have a real soft spot for the older Zeiss Superspeeds, partly because... Why'd they they stop making them? That's a good question i guess they figured out a way to build a whole bunch more expensive but I mean, which size, is really weird because they are really small they're really they're light small, that's light, why they're still they're expensive awesome. today they're really hard to get a set of them then they're very expensive still today for a set of super speed the mark three or whatever the latest super speeds because they are small lightweight um at fast obviously and i think uh, some people, you know, it's it's older, slightly older technology or older technology, uh, older technology coatings. I guess they sort of they are. I guess maybe like these, a little bit like these um, Lumitex, a little bit more. Uh, they do flare a little bit. They have some unusual artifacts and stuff with with flares and highlights and things. But I I kind of like all that. It doesn't I've never found it ruining ruin the image. It just sort of adds a little bit of film filmicness. Okay, so I could buy I, I could buy Russian slash German. Yep. Less known glass. Yep. I could buy secondhand super speeds, which I think both of us really like. Yep. You can I buy, could buy the cooks in a range that are going to be absolutely identical between the Pancros, the S4s, and the S5s. Yep. If you get the same comparable. You can buy the uh, Zeiss CP2s, I guess, which is sort yep. of the cheaper, lightweight, but again, slowish, like T21s or so. And then you've um, got obviously Marshall Prime and Ultra Prime. I don't know if I said that already. And then yep. you've got um, what else? Uh, reds, so you, now yes, reds lenses red are pretty nice. Yeah, because obviously, I guess people who are shooting red are quite happy to rent red. I've never heard anything necessarily bad about about the red primes. I've never heard anything bad about them. No, uh, though they're a little bulkier, but they are pretty fast. Yeah, they are they're a bulky, eight, but right? yeah, they're fast. Yeah, one eight, one nine, I think. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, they're a little bit bulky, but they're does, quite affordable. Does one know? eight to one four one two bug you because in stills lenses we've discussed that and it's yeah, it build quality and shit. Yeah, it's more yeah fairly minimal. I think I just start to see I start to definitely see a difference in start the stuff looking a bit more pedestrian around the sort of two eight sort of thing. So so if we're in a pre one four one four or two is sort of acceptable, but you know as two eights and stuff you really start to get a bit sort of dull and filmed. so we're in a pre prime meeting and I'm your like camera i mean production line producer i'm mm. your line producer right yep and you're saying okay for this job coming up which is going to be uh commercial exterior a bunch of stuff so if i was saying well we're going to be hiring lenses around the world you'd be like well as long as it's under two like one eight or below yep. i'm okay with it yep definitely i mean ultra primes are fantastic and they're smaller lightweight usually about 1.9 um, a couple of them are like T2, but generally 1.9. So I think it's more really, really. So I guess I'm being pretty, what you want is pretty picky, cheap, really, small and fast. But yeah, 
That's why I think the the super speeds are just that you know the one point three, and it's what they do at the one point three end. They just get that little sort of flary and artifacty and quite a bit more sort of you know a bit more old schooly, I suppose. A bit more of a fully filmic, wide open is what they tend film. to show it if they can have any artifacts. Yeah, that's exactly. what they're going to show it. Yeah, and that's what the, yeah. The okay, so let me ask you: almost every still I've ever seen from you, at least that's like not true. Okay, I'll take that back. <laughs> I got in trouble last week for generalizations. Almost every still I've ever seen from my best friend Jeff Huser has a vignette on it. But do yes. you does it bug you to shoot with a vignette in the sense of an optical vignetting as opposed to like, you know, something actually sneaking I, in and I vignetting get, on that? I mean obviously I think part of that whole five D look these days and it comes from I mean, there is definitely a little bit of vignetting just naturally in in the, the in the Canon primes. Definitely, there is a little bit of natural stuff. And you look at it if you just look at still shots in Lightroom and you toggle on the um, lens correction, which yeah. obviously has a profile there for each Canon lens, yeah. and you can see what it's doing and what it's correcting. You can see some of the optical sort of you know some of the pin cushioning or some of the you know the optical aberrations, but also see it correcting vignette which up until that point you thought quite no oh, that's quite nice i quite like that look but then you see when it gets corrected you think oh that's interesting so do you like to take it out on your i mean do you like to make sure that doesn't come oh, in i on get your- it i get oh, i almost get double that anyway because when you get um once you start using uh, very NDs, I think they add an awful lot of oh, well, natural so well they accentuate or they add a bit of their own vignette in there as well but it's, somehow it's more accept- I was just thinking about this today because I was just literally grading this this project today for about six hours what were you and, grading on? Uh, right, okay. and what was interesting actually we were grading off the original 5D camera files off the network it was a little bit steppy, but basically we're just looking. We're grading directly network five D. What were you files. shooting on? Were you shooting on Stu settings or Cine style? Uh, was it log the um, or linear? Slightly modified that we talked about last episode. Slightly modified Stu settings, which is the right. Yeah, the so Stu settings, but, but not loading the profile. I think back. I think just with a couple of going halfway on the sharpness. Right. Yeah, which I think is is fine. I shot a lot of fine detail stuff. And I never really got into in complete uh, hell of um, moiraing or, or sort of you know that sort of the issues why you sometimes want to back off the sharpness. So I never really saw that much of an issue. I just like to put a little bit of sharpness in and then do maybe a little bit more. I'm gonna, probably going to do another little. I'm going to do another click of it or so in online. Screen. If it's green screen, yes, I, you want to I take it, it off. Out. Yeah. So I shoot with a bit of it on, and then I'll also do a little bit in online in, in Inferno or in Flame or whatever. Um. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, that's sort of you are getting definitely getting a bit of vignette, an extra added vignette. But because it's sort of in camera and it's on the lens and it's optical, it's a little bit. You sort of somehow you get a little bit more of a, a bit leeway, a bit more sort of get out of free card, jail free card than if you're whacking it in later in post. All right. Well, let me I do, just really put you on the spot. Bit more if you had to. On a board, mm. put them in order of things that bug you or you love. <laughs> Vignetting is going lower on the board, right? Is that right? It's not like you don't yeah, want it, but you don't want it. No, no, no. I think it's speed part of, is like part really of the look. High. Yep, speed is like and sharpness up there. and sharpness. By that I mean contrast and sharp, proper, you know, proper sharpness. Not uh, yes, most stuff's pretty sort of sharp. I think sometimes you can get it. Yeah, I, yeah. So not I, as high I, as it would be speed. speed 
and then it, this is Wait. this is this is hang on this is stuff up my preferences of what I what, in this pre-pro meeting that we're having for going yeah. to shoot epic around yeah. the world yeah. what are, what are all my lenses to be yeah and yeah. We're, we're shooting yeah. epic not yeah 5D we've discussed yeah. that exactly yeah fast uh, light uh, and then probably because you can counteract it later I suppose sharp and contrast. Uh, I guess a bit of uh, character in terms of the way they flare or the bokeh and the um, all the stuff that you can't necessarily fix or grade out. I suppose is right. going to be like the is going to be the, the 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 speed, the sort of bokeh. I guess the look, the um, how the um, flares look. I suppose and any of the sort of artifacts and stuff you can't correct. And just uh, did you yeah. take lights on this run? Yeah. No, I think we still had those little sort of had those little uh, LED light panels. Had a small one foot one light panel and a little, little thing in there. I bought a little light panel, a cheap China. I'm going to I'm not going to say knockoff. That's not fair, yeah. but it was definitely not a brand you'd ever. I think heard we of. had the not a brand after after I yeah. did my research and I looked up light panels. I think we were carrying around the not a brand. I was carrying around the not a brand little thing. I'm going to say is like the size of a slightly smaller than a paperback book had five aas in it right and it just pumped out light like like a mother it shouldn't have pumped out yep. that much light did it have a battery bracket on the back of it yep and it can both take canon no yep. it can take sony sony and also uh panasonic ones from our old lift from our old p2 right adapter yeah. And it costs like 200 bucks. Yeah. I think it's probably similar to what I had. Okay. This and thing has a, like, like a double, of... a double A hatch on the bottom. Yes. And on the top of that, it has yeah. a... And it has like a little click on-off dimmer and thing. And it feels like off. piece of plastic. Piece of plastic, yeah. But, okay, that was my third light in my kit. My two primary lights were the Z90s. And boy, was I appreciative of that. Because at one point, I was interviewing Dennis Murin. And he started quizzing me on the lights. And if I just had cheap crap, I think he would have like I would have like lost some major cred. But because so I could lens with those, we what? what what are they called? Say them again. Z nineties. Z nineties. Xylites, and they're oh, awesome okay. because not only can you dial up the color temperature, but you can dial up the hue, and not only that, but they have a fader and it holds the color temperature through the fade. And as I did in one case, I was shooting in a room and I had like nothing to go on to make it interesting. And so I put a poster up behind, and then I th- threw blue light back there, and played you know tungsten in the f- you know the tungsten daylight yeah. between foreground and background, but also threw blue light in. And the Z90s will actually pump out any color light you like because you can dial it up. Ah, uh, yeah, right. But and does that actually reduce? Is there like a non-color, non-color changing version of them? Because so often, sometimes when they have the light panels, have you have the sort of daylight version, or they have the I can make this any color temperature I yeah, like. Yeah, no, version. this is this is there is a you take this is a to hit. die for. No, this is like this is like a proper light. This is like a professional light. It's not a you know we've got a little filter like there's some of those crappy LED ones. Literally, yeah. sort of a filter kind of slides in like a cheap plastic toy. Yes. No, I'm not talking about that. This is literally has a. LED kind of readout on the back and you can punch up the numbers. You can change the hue yes. and the temperature in, and it can properly controls it, properly runs it. And they are, they're a solid light, but mm. they're still small. They're still really small. There's a little heavier, obviously, than the plastic thing you, we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. But two of those were my primary lights. And then, and then at some locations I had, I don't know, like half a dozen 1Ks. And at red, I was shooting with, you know, 
a bunch of other things because I was lighting a, I was lighting a whole soundstage at ILM and at Red. But, but you were writing, running this stuff off DC? I was running... So in, when I was like, for example, at Skywalker Ranch, I was running off power, like they're plugged into the wall. Right. And they have that transformers will take, you know, our temperature, I mean, our um, power or, or American. Right. And yet the, the thing with the um, five AAs, I, I didn't bother plugging that in. I don't think it even does plug in. It just runs no. the battery. The thing I'm sure I used is something called like a Z. If you just go on eBay, say, which I'm doing now, something. If you just search for like Z96, now these things are like seventy bucks or something. And I think this is the thing that will run off. My, my Zylite is not seventy bucks. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about the little, the little sort of handheld panel-y thing. These are like about seventy bucks, and they have this little magnetic sort of click-on filter on the top. If you click, yeah. click on there, a little uh, orange, orange filter to do CTO, um, and little, yeah, basically. But the other advantage of these lights is in the same bag, because I've got one of those um, camera bags, you know, like you could run a truck into them and they're kind of reinforced. They look like they're just black and ordinary, mm. but they're actually a stills professional box camera bag, mm. not a thing you put over your shoulder. So I can have two or three stands in there, a bunch of, um, I can have my Marshall, the Xylites, LED light, a backup some batteries and my audio gear and a Marshall monitor. And that's one contained reinforced box that can go in the hold. What what cat, what bag, what box are you putting it in? You know, one of those professional, they look soft, but they're actually rock hard. They have like right, reinforced right. Yeah. polymer yeah, right. under the cloth. Mm-hmm. And it's and a square it's box effectively. And very happy just chucking that in the hold. I mean, I'm never happy chucking anything in the no, hold. No, sure, But, yeah, that's yeah. what goes in the hold. I yeah. take the Epic and my 5D as hand luggage. Yep. And almost nothing else. <laughs> yeah, because there's no room. What else are you going to carry? Exactly. And I pretend like it's really lightweight, and actually I end up with back problems. Mm. And, mm. yeah, but that's what goes in the hold. But the thing about it is when you add a tripod to that mix, because yeah, I've now got three things. I've got a tripod, a camera bag, which effectively is a light box, mm. a light bag, and but that's still I mean compared to that to lugging around bloody redheads and stuff like we used to do, I could actually carry that. I can carry that bag, a tripod over my shoulder, and my um, backpack or the epic, and I can three bags. I'm good. What uh, I didn't, yeah, I took a tripod, dragged it around the world, never used it. What what tripod did you take? Because I bought a new one. Really? I bought a Manfrotto. I think it's just like, I, I want to say it's the... Uh, it's a Manfrotto, but it's a yep. fluid head Manfrotto. Yeah. You okay. know what I did do? I bought a bloody... Um, I, I'm embarrassed to say this. I bought a monopod, thinking that that would be really cool when I went around Cine Gear. Yep. And Jeff went, no, nah, I won't take that. I'll take a tripod. And so he lugged a tripod all around Cine Gear, which was awesome, but it meant that I took a monopod to LA and never used it. It's bloody nice monopod, but not used. Never used it. Do you use a monopod? I've have one and I've used it occasionally. But to be honest, I don't know. I find them just, I don't know, just getting away. I I change my sort of I'm shot s- every thirty seconds. I just I'm so in fear of walking away from them and having them topple over because I think that it's on a tripod. Walking away from them? Oh, because they've got the little feet there. The little feet. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I would never do that. Um, I want to have a. Um, uh, one of those monopods that has the little sort of trigger to re- reduce, you know, to go up and down really quickly. But still, then you know, I I just I just you know change my shot too often to be able to use it. Mind you, I look back at my stuff. It's you know some of it is 
shall we say, a vibrant viewing experience. Some of it's slightly wobbly. <laughs> Stabilising the odd shot, but I'd still trade that for the okay. ability to be able to, comp- you know, because often the tr- you're try- I'm trying to get foreground. Often, you know, I'm trying to get that's just that little bit of edge of something or a doorway no, I, or a head or someone's oh, shoulder I, or whatever. You're just always trying to get to that God, little I, bit of foreground. I have been at the Jason Wingrove School of Cinematography. I'm, I always now hunt for that foreground out of focus thing yeah and that, that just just that little tiny bit there is what is everything anything you need is all you need we're at the end of the show can i tell you another i'm just going before because i because I, I skipped over it the tripod i bought is the uh manfrotto 504 hd which is really nice partly because i was thinking and what can i get which will be epicish and also dslr-ish obviously again if i'm going to be going onto a big set i'm going to get a nice you know O'Connor and Prime Glass and all that sort of stuff, but this is more for sort of out and about run and gun epic stroke 5D yeah, kind of hybrid thing. So the 504 HD kind of package with those little sort of very simple stills-ish kind of carbon legs, and that's just sensational. Really well built, and the uh, Epic's perfect. We've used you've used it. We've used the Epic on it before. It's it's great. Good little trop trop. Anyway, what were you going to say? I was just going to have a confession um, that. Now we're at the end of the show. So I um so Yay they you, shout. What? Yay they all shout. Finally, we get to the end of the show. It's a long one. So you know how um we were talking about the fact that um Garrett from Steady Camp's coming out here? Oh yes. I enrolled. Yes, yes, yes. I couldn't resist. Excellent. Oh that's good. Well, because you have done a Steady Cam course before, but well, that so was the uh yes, but that was the um uh I guess the light you have your light steady cam. Uh, certificate, I guess, the sort of more lightweight version. So I imagine the course that Garrett's going to take is going to take uh, across everything. Although, obviously, you'll have your flyer, but it'll, he, you know, can, well, he can teach you anyone. And it, it'll include things like the, is it the Tenga, the um, extender arm thing, you know? The, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's the, all that. But, yep, yep. you know, here's the thing, and I, I don't want to oh. sound, but it's, it's just one like... One-on-one with Garrett. One? One-on-one with, one-on-one with Garrett. You well, it's not one-on-one, it's one-on-one, well, on you know, but anyway. Well, still... It's one on, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's a week of learning from somebody that a is week? a bit of a, yeah. Oh, my God. I know. I, wow. I, I, I know. It's just indulgent, isn't it? Wow. It's like That's self-indulgent. Sensational. I, I, yeah, but it's not like you're going off to, you know, you're not going off to Sicily to have a oil painting classes. It's, chances, no, are, chances are a slightly practical application to what you're, what you're doing. Yeah, but the other thing is, I don't know he'll ever do this again, not in Sydney. Uh, no. And no. You know, no. the thing is, sometimes with these things, it's like, you know, if you get a living legend that comes out and plays a concert, yep. you kind of feel like, well, if I don't take advantage of this, I'm probably going to kick myself. Yep. And for one week of the year, I'm just going to check out and do something that's purely for myself. I mean, I admit that totally, because it's not really like I need to do this. I'm not a full-time Steadicam operator, I, mm. It's but I'm sure that... Yeah, but Garrett's, you know, is an incredibly impressive person who's not just a, he is, not just a Steadicam operator or teacher. You know, he's an incredible inventor, huge raconteur, complete, you know, amazing uh, person. Radio, he was he did radio for a long time. He's and an so incredibly impressive like, person. I'm really, you know, the dive cam and all that other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. All so that sort I of amazing stuff. You know, I've, that, I've toot and froed on this for forever. a very clever guy. And I literally, I, I didn't enroll. And I'm not going to do it. It's just 
pointless. Let somebody else do it that really you know needs to do it. Mm. And then I saw it again, and I emailed the guys here locally, and I said, uh, I guess that all sold out, right? And they actually just had a cancellation from someone in America that's not coming over. If you want it, we can get you in. So it was limit, pretty limited. Oh, it number. sold out within seconds. Wow. Because there were like 12 places, and yeah. it's a week intensive with him and three other senior Steadicam operators with every rig that Steadicam makes on a retreat filming. Yeah. It was well, like, I couldn't help myself. Fantastic. So I, well, I admit it, it's, uh, but anyway, I only mentioned that because I know that <laughs> you uh, have a similar will, opinion about him than I do. Yeah, you will learn a lot more than just, you know, Steadicam operation, as you know, he's just an incredibly impressive guy. You know, anybody who's walked through the snowy maze of uh, The Shining. Anyone who's walked the moons of Endor. Walked the moon. Yes, walked walked the uh, the forest moon from Endor. Yes, indeed. Anyone who's uh, basically done half what he's done, it would be Mm. worth sitting down with. But we have sat down with him at trade shows, and that was what pushed me over the edge. Because Mm. when you were talking to him, remember you did the interview, and I was filming, and it was so interesting hearing him talk. Mm. But you could also tell that he, more than anything, just loved the gear and the setup, and was willing to share. Yeah, you know. He's the complete opposite of a self-absorbed kind of... He, yes, he's a sharer. Skycam as well. He's, you know, invented a whole bunch, so, of, bunch of stuff. So for what it's worth, and I'll only do this once in my life, yep. I thought I'll just go on a retreat and uh, study from a master. Actually, I, I kind of... I, mean, I can't afford it, but nor can I have got the time. But it would be kind of nice if there were more greats that did retreats like that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, be really... I mean, wouldn't you give it if... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there's... I mean, there's a lot of people doing, you know... Workshops, I guess. Workshops, but, but that's, but not you know, this kind of yeah, you're not talking, you know, as I say, you want sort of those master classes of, uh, of, of when you are talking about master and, and a master of a, uh, an obs- not obscure art, but something that not every man and his dog is teaching. And yeah. yeah. And you don't want to go to a lecture and just have them show on a whiteboard. You yeah. want it like this is, you go to a location. It's yeah. basically doing a shoot yeah. for a week. Yeah. You go to a location a and you shoot that for a week and there are three groups. Um, right in rotation with different kits so any time you're in the you know I'm going to too much but wow anyway. awesome okay well I expect obviously full report we got to go it's a long show <laughs> it's good well we haven't you know catch up and we will get back I know it's sort of we will get back to a more uh, structured format because I know some people really like that. We have some good interviews coming up actually in weeks to come we'll be talking uh, to uh, the guys from Duclos Lenses um we uh, tried hooking up them at the show, but couldn't do it. So we yep. organised that as a phone interview. We mentioned yes, already. There's also, I don't think we mentioned that green screen cloth. Um, we'll cover that maybe next yep. week, and some other stuff. And of course, we've got uh, red stuff. We've got coming up. We've got uh, a bunch of good stuff coming up. Show notes are going to be huge this week. There's a lot of things we've talked about, and uh, obviously we'll have uh, links to the. Up- I guess I guess I guess people just have to watch uh, FX FX uh, FX Guide dot com for the links yeah. to the the especially uh, the things we've talked about. Yeah, the stuff with that Brian Gaffney set up for us with um, with Joshua Pines. That's really I think worth watching. Yeah, terrific. Jason, it's been terrific talking to Thank you. you. It's good I literally to be haven't home. seen you for a couple of weeks. So. Indeed, it's good to be home. Good to see you. I'm um I'm only here for two weeks, so we'll get another one in before I head off to Europe. Yep. Cool. Lovely. Shall do. Guys, thanks so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. And thanks, I've got guys. to say, in traveling around, uh, as I'm sure you found, but I especially found it in the circles that I was moving in, I guess, the number of people that listen to this podcast is kind of humbling. Um, and I know that many of it's 
a lot of it's down to the guests we have on, but we do really appreciate you guys listening. And when we get things wrong, you tend to be so respectful on the way you send us emails. When I, <laughs> people want to point out some stuff about the Sydney style, it wasn't, you know, you bastard, you dickhead. It was, uh, hey, I don't know if you've picked up on this and here's something else to look at and this yeah. is something else. It's just such a good community. We love you guys. We and, do appreciate uh, it. We do see it. Sometimes yeah. we don't see mention on the show, but we, we, but, we, but we see it all, even if we don't sometimes reply. But uh, we'll get back on back on to that horse soon. And now that I'm sort of back a bit, well, yes. Normal service will be resumed sort of soonish. Is there a normal service for us? <laughs> okay. Talk to you guys later. See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.